Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we praise you that you are Lord. And we pray you help us, Lord, to live in light of these truths. Lord, as I preach this message, allow me to be removed from this message and allow your word to shine. And the truths that we need to hear, God, I pray that they will penetrate our hearts deep, that we might truly follow you. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If you would open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 21. For the last several weeks, since our missions conference, we have been traveling through the book of John, beginning in chapter 15. And if uh, there were some of you who came to that Sunday afternoon, I preached from John chapter 14, even a little bit of chapter 14. And we've been talking about this story, the, the story of, of Jesus, the story of our redemption, and, and trying to come to grips with what the whole message is about. And I think this last chapter really kind of brings it home. Now, you might have read, I hope you got my email on Friday and read chapter 21. And you may, if you remember last week and the last couple of weeks where we were in chapter 20, you might be wondering why, it seemed like everything was buttoned up nice and neat and everything we needed was right there at the end of chapter 20. Why did John include chapter 21? Well, let's read it, okay? We're going to read the whole chapter, and I, I do that, uh, because there might be someone here who hasn't read the whole thing. So hang on. And we're going to read through this whole chapter, all 25 verses. It begins in John chapter 21, verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the night on the net on the other on the right side of the ship. And you shall find. And so they cast therefore, and now there were, uh, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land. But as it were, 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. 
And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that which he was risen from the dead. And so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved, because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter saith, seeth, uh, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and... Oh, goodness. Let's start that one over. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then when he, this saying abroad, uh, this went this saying, goodness, then went this saying abroad among the brethren that, uh, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, you shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is, the, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there, also, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they, were, would be, if they should to be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. If we look back at the previous chapters, chapter if you were to go back to chapter 13 through 17, those chapters are really talking about the night, describing the night preceding Jesus' death. And, and they focus on his instructions, which we focused quite a bit upon in chapter 15, the instructions he finally gave to his disciples. Chapters 18 and 19 uh, chronicles the arrest, the betrayal, and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, and then chapter 20 declares the wonderful truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why write another chapter? Everything seemed to be all buttoned up. I think John wrote it for Peter. We'll talk a little bit more about that. To, to talk about Peter and how Peter was to continue in ministry. And also, if you caught at the end there, to address some rumors about himself, John. There were some rumors about him that he was going to live until the Lord returned, and, and John put those to bed. But ultimately, I believe that John wrote this chapter to conclude with one simple fact, that Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. As, if, as each of us journey through life, 
we can either chart our own course by our own desires and our own ambitions, or we can choose to follow Christ. Twice in this final chapter, Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. That is kind of what sums up the whole book of John, truly. It's about following Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the promised Savior who, who calls us away from the path of this world, the path of this cursed world, this path that leads to destruction, and to follow Him into eternal life, living eternally for Him. Each of us, at the end of this book and at the end of this message today, must answer the question, will I follow Jesus? I think this final chapter shows us four marks of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I think first, if we are to truly follow Christ, then our confidence in our life will not be in our own strength, but in the sovereignty of Christ. I say that because of how the chapter begins. I mean, think about it. All, all, the, all the drama that is building. You remember I, I talked about how in, a, in a great, some of the greatest movies, the music swells and it begins to crescendo and you can feel the biggest moment of the movie coming. I talked about Rocky and the, you know, the, uh, uh, oh goodness, what is it? The montage, right? The montage, the workout montage, right? Things are building. Things are getting better. Things are about to happen. Amazing things are going to uh, take place. Uh, Rocky's going to win or he's going to go the distance. Or, or in, in uh, Saving Private Ryan or so many Star Wars, the music swells at the most dramatic moments. And we, we got to watch that. John, uh, show the dramatic uh, swelling of, 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 of drama, of excitement, of big things about to happen as Jesus was going towards the cross. And then he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood for all of mankind. And then the greatest day ever, Jesus returns. He's risen from the dead. I mean, it's amazing. All this amazing stuff has happened. And then how does this chapter begin? With a fishing story. Now, Why? Well, I think, I think Jesus had a plan uh, for having John include this. I, I mean, it paints a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, these men, Simon and uh, Peter and his friends, and these other disciples, what were they known for? What were, what were they? What was their profession? They were fishermen. Now, how many of y'all like to go fishing? I'm, how many of you are really good at fishing? Yeah, if Brother Lester was here, he, he's a wonderful fisherman. I haven't been fishing with him yet, but I know uh, there's others here who have and would testify to that, that he's a wonderful fisherman that, because Brother Lester is always excellent at everything he tries to do. Sorry, Brother Lester, if you're listening, I'm, I'm embarrassing you even from, while you're there. Um, but Brother Lester is not a professional fisherman, is he? How many of you are professional fishermen? Yeah, I know, me either, me either. When we lived in Texas City, we lived across the street from a man who was, they were members of our church, and we called him Brother Floyd, uh, Brother Flawed. His name was Floyd, and uh, Brother Flawed was a shrimper. He was a professional fisherman, and uh, during pastoral appreciation in October, we would usually get about five pounds of fresh shrimp. It's pretty great, pretty great, fresh from the Gulf of Mexico, but these guys were professional fishermen. I mean, these guys knew their business. 
And when they were going to go out to go fishing, it was not any kind of leisurely activity where they're just going to hang out and and maybe uh, eat some bread together and cast a few uh, strings in the water and hope that something... No, 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 no. These guys, they were serious about their work. I, I think there's a reason why God chose fishermen, by the way. Fishermen are tough. All right, fishermen know how to stick it through. Fishermen know how to deal with adversity. Uh, fishermen are courageous. A disciple's got to be courageous. But I think Jesus and uh, uh, John includes this, and Jesus wanted John to include this because these professional fishermen, what did they do? They went out immediately and they fished all night. And then what happened? They caught nothing. Now, how many of you have been fishing and caught nothing? It's frustrating even when you're just like trying to have some fun, isn't it? Imagine you're a professional fisherman. I bet these guys were grouchy. Man, we've been wasting our time all night long. Uh, we, we've stripped down to work. We're, 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 we're putting in the work. We're doing all the right things. We're doing everything we know works, and we're catching nothing. But then this guy comes along on the shore near the sunrise and, and they don't know that it's Jesus. And he comes along and, and he says, hey guys, did you catch anything? Hey, have y'all got anything to eat? Did you hear their answer? Did you read it? Did you notice how short it was? <laughs> they said, no. They didn't say, no, sorry man, maybe come back. No, they said, no. They were upset. They were frustrated. And then imagine uh, that this guy, because they don't know it's Jesus, this guy on the shore says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you throw your net onto the other side of the boat? Then you'll catch something. Man, can you imagine those guys rolling their eyes again? Of course, they've been through this before, hadn't they? So maybe they weren't too quick to dismiss this guy on the shore. And then they cast the nets over on the right side of the boat. And what happens? They catch 153 fish. I, I, I enjoy going fishing. I, I haven't been fishing in a really long time. I need to take my boys fishing, honestly. But when I was a teenager, I used to go fishing with some guys from church, and, and their dad is a fantastic fisherman. I remember one night we were running trot lines uh, on the shore of, uh, of uh, Ray Roberts Lake, and we were baiting them with blood bait and uh, minnow, or not a minnow, a perch every fourth hook, Okay. And that night, I remember it was stormy. And, uh, you know, I didn't grow up on the beach, so white capping waves was not like a, like a normal thing for me and the usual something I felt comfortable with. But the wind was so big that night, I remember that the, the waves on the lake were white capping as they were coming in. But you know what? That night, we caught over 75 fish. I mean, we were so busy. We were totally wore out. But I can't imagine catching 153 fish and trying to pull them all in. And it says great fishes. And so what happens is, is something that only Jesus can do. And John realizes it. Remember what it said? It said the, the one that Jesus loved understood what was happening and said, It's Jesus, Peter, it's Jesus. And Peter immediately goes... Listen, I think this is included because our, if we're truly to follow Jesus, our confidence will not be in our own strength. These disciples needed to know that what they were going to achieve for the Lord wasn't going to happen because they were so great, because they were so strong, because they were so talented, because they knew better. 
It was only going to happen because of Jesus and because of his sovereignty. Regardless of our abilities, regardless of our talents, our strengths, we are unable to follow Jesus on our own. John 15, 5. That passage that uh, is, is the impetus for our theme this year, John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine. Jesus talking to his disciples. These final, uh, final importance instructions. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then what does it say? For without me, you can do nothing. Listen, if you're going to truly be a follower of Christ, your confidence cannot be in your own strength. Uh, Kent Hughes, uh, R. Kent Hughes, who is a a great commentator, wrote uh, this about serving Christ in our own strength. He said, serving Christ in our own strength, trying to do it our own way is like going after Moby Dick with a pickle fork. That's kind of silly, isn't it? For us to try to do ministry in our life and in this church on our own strength, it's futile. You don't believe me? Well, why don't we talk? And I can tell you how many times I've tried on my own and it failed. If we're going to truly follow Christ, and listen, this is what, I hope you're awake enough to catch this this morning. This is what God is calling you to do. If you're going to truly follow him, you have to follow him on his sovereignty, not on our strength. We've got to trust him. I mean, there's lots of things we can achieve in our own strength. But all of them are selfish pursuits. Do you know you can, you can find instant gratification in your own strength? Yeah, we're professionals at it, aren't we? <laughs> Our flesh is, is very adept at finding instant gratification. But if you want to do something truly godly, if you want to be a godly husband, if you want to be a godly wife, if you want to be a godly parent, if you want to be a godly servant within his church, then you have to do what Christ would have you to do. You have to do it in his strength because your best intentions and your strength will fail and fall short. Our only hope is the effective power of Christ working in and through us. That's why John starts with this fishing story. And I think it's also why it's so encouraging. Because Jesus, Jesus, uh, he showed up and he showed off his sovereignty, didn't he? Those are some of the best moments in my life is when Jesus has shown up and he's shown off his ability, his power, his strength, his sovereignty. Uh, I, I think God likes to do that. I think Jesus... Maybe this is a little Simpsonology, okay? Not real theology, just a little Simpsonology. I think Jesus was maybe giggling a little on the inside that he was doing something that would amaze these guys and teach them something deep and powerful. I I like uh, my my wife. I love Melissa. You know what the greatest joys of being married to a, a beautiful woman like Melissa is? Is whenever she can't open a jar, like a jar of jam, and guess what I get to do? She goes, can you open this jar? And what do I get to do? I get to, I get to creep into the kitchen. I get to yeah, warm up and get that jar in my hand and go, hey, wait, well, baby, you better be watching. Watch this, watch this. And I get to show off. Listen, the Lord wants to show up and show off in our life. 
He wants us to depend upon his strength and his sovereignty. And if we're trying to do it in our own strength, boy, we're doing it the wrong way. It's going to fail. Second thing I see in this passage is that our comfort. How many of y'all seek comfort in this world? Oh man, you're about to seek burritos here in a little bit when I'm done, right? And that's going to be comforting to your belly and your body. And it's going to make you comfort, want to find comfort in your easy chair at home so you can take a nice nap on Sunday afternoon. No, this is, this is our, our comfort will not be in our own mindset, but in the mercy of Christ. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Peter. I, I said that I think John included this to, to, to give Peter a, a chance to be uplifted in our eyes. Uh, Peter... Think about Peter. Peter was a guy who took, he took greater comfort in his own work and his effort and his morality and his own mindset and his own path uh, than in maybe any of the, of the other disciples. I think when Peter spoke before this time, I think when Peter spoke, uh, nothing he said lacked confidence. Peter was a man of confidence. He, he knew what he, that's why he was the leader of this group. He knew in his mind uh, that he could do whatever he set his mind to. That was his mindset. I think Peter was very much like that. But on the night that Jesus was arrested, do you remember what Peter said to Jesus? He said, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll die for you. He pledged this unfailing faithfulness, unbreakable uh, uh, devotion to Jesus. And then how did Jesus respond to him? Do you remember? He said, but you're going to deny me three times tonight. Peter couldn't believe that. No, no, I would never do that. I'm, my mind is set, Lord. I'm going to follow you. My focus is going to be uh, completely on uh, being devoted to you. And, and Peter tried. You remember whenever they went to the garden and the, and the crowd came to take Jesus away? The group came to take Jesus away. Peter was ready. He was going to die, right? He got his sword out and he cut off Malchus's ear. And Jesus had to clean up his mess and put the ear back on and all that. And, and uh, listen, Peter tried. But what eventually happened? Peter failed. He failed. And not only did he fail in such a way that he was disappointed in, in his own devotion to the Lord, I think it shattered his confidence in himself. His comfort that his, that his, his, own, uh, his own mindset was going to lead him to where he needed to go to do the right thing. Peter needed to be broken if he was going to follow the Lord. I think all of us at times need a humbling moment to realize that uh, we don't really know what's right and true. Peter needed to be broken, but he also needed to be restored. I think John does a wonderful uh, uh, service to Peter for us to describe this interchange with Jesus. You know, there's only two times in the book of John where they're gathered, where, where there's even a, a, a charcoal fire described. The first time is in uh, John, uh, John chapter, oh goodness, 18 verse 18. John was gathered next to the charcoal fire listening in on that trial 
listening to what was being said. How many of y'all ever stood around a charcoal fire before? What is it? There's something about it that's a little different than a regular like wood fire, isn't there? It has a different smell, a different aroma. And we see Peter at this, at this, uh, uh, during this time of trial, at this moment of his greatest failure. He's next to this charcoal fire, but now Jesus, where does he bring him? Well, how did it describe that, that fire in, in verse, uh, verse 9? And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. Fish lay there on and bread. I think when Peter was gathered there, and, John, and Jesus began to ask him questions, I think the smell of that fire should have reminded him of his greatest failure. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, uh, he sought to restore him. Jesus three times asked him questions. He restored him through questions. Three times Peter had denied Jesus, and three times Jesus gave Peter a chance to pronounce his love for Jesus. And we see just by Jesus' actions and his response to, to Peter that Peter is forgiven. But it's not because of anything that Peter does. Uh, Peter doesn't pay penance. Uh, Peter isn't baptized again because he screwed up. No, he did nothing to atone for his failure. Jesus already had atoned for his failure. And Jesus had paid the price. And Jesus showed mercy and forgiveness. You know, Peter was forgiven because of Jesus' mercy. If we're going to be a true follower, our comfort in our life will not be in our own mindset and our own plans. But it's going to be on depending upon Christ's mercy. The third thing I see in our passage, that if you're going to be a true follower of Christ, that our concern will not be for our own priorities any longer, but for the people of Christ. Through these verses, when Jesus is asking Peter if he loved him, he responds every time when Peter answers, yes, of course I love you. Then what does he tell him? He says, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed uh, my sheep. So in chapter 10, Jesus talked about his sheep. Jesus' sheep are the ones who believe in him. The ones who trust him. When we trust in Christ, we enter into a whole new community of believers. And each church is an individual community of believers dedicated to following Christ. And, and what Jesus does is he, not only does he restore Peter, but he commissions him to love the church. We're a community of people who are to live differently. And interestingly enough, against what the American culture teaches us, we're never told to love ourselves. 
our, our world teaches you, you got to love yourself. And I'm not saying that, uh, that we need, we're supposed to hate ourselves and that we're supposed to, you know, self-flagellate ourselves and, and try to hurt ourselves. No, 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 no. We're not even to have our eyes on ourselves. <laughs> we're supposed to have our eyes on the Lord. And honoring him by loving each other and having our eyes on one another and, and lifting each other up and encouraging each other whenever we find a, a brother that falls into sin. Uh, we're to live our lives uh, supporting one another and, and, and supporting the work of Christ. I mean, Christ is about to leave in the ne- very next chapter of the Bible. Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. Acts chapter 1. He's going to leave and guess what he's left? He's left us to continue his mission of reaching the world for the lost. And to do that, we must love and care for one another. Our priorities, our concern should not be for our own priorities. It should, for, it should be for each other. I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul writes, Let this mind be also in you, which was in Christ Jesus, that you love one another. Jesus means for our priorities when we get saved to radically change. When we decide we're going to follow him, our priorities should radically change. Instead of serving ourselves, we're to serve each other and to serve the church. The fourth thing, I could go on and on about that, by the way, but we're going to move on to the fourth thing. We've seen that if we're truly going to follow Christ, our confidence will not be in our own strength, but in the sovereignty of Christ, our Comfort will not be in our own mindset, but in the mercy of Christ. Our concern will not be for our own priorities, but for the people of Christ. And then our commitment will not be to our own comfort. I I don't think... American people... uh, I don't want to beat up on America, but the American people used to be a strong people committed to justice and peace and, uh, and to freedom, committed to freedom. I think the people of America and really of our world now are more committed to their own comforts than anything else. But if we're going to truly follow Christ, our commitment will not be to our own comfort, but to the cross of Christ. Verse 18 Jesus, speaking to Peter still, he says, Truly, truly, I say to thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest uh, whither thou wouldest. He's saying, Peter, uh, when you were younger and still, honestly, right now, you have the strength to do and go wherever you want. But that's going to change, Peter. He says, when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee. And carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And it, it describes a little bit, John describes a little bit about what he's talking about, what, what Jesus was talking about. It says, This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Where, where did Jesus go for us? Oh man, y'all, y'all are not awake yet. Wake up. Where did Jesus go for you? To the cross. Yes to the cross and to the grave. He shed his blood for you and me. He went to the cross. Doesn't it make sense that 
when we decide we're going to follow Jesus, that choosing to follow a crucified Savior might lead us to a cross? That's what Jesus is telling Peter here. A time would come when Peter would be bound. It says girt. It means he's going to be bound. And against his wishes, he was going to be killed. The Bible doesn't record Peter's death, but other historical documents suggest that Peter was crucified under the, ruler of, under the rule of Nero, but that he was crucified upside down because he could not bear the idea of, of being crucified the same way that his Savior was. If we're to truly follow Christ, our commitment will not be to our own comfort. Think about that. How committed we are to our own comfort. I'm committed to my own comfort in many ways. Uh, Brother Bob, I'm sure, has a commitment to his own comfort. Yet, in his bravery, he's willing to suffer in the sound booth for Jesus. We tell you, that's a brave ministry. It really is. Now, is it, is it tremendous suffering? No. Bob would tell you no. But if we're committed to our own comfort, we're probably not going to do things that please God in the church or anywhere else. If we're going to truly follow Christ, our commitment cannot be to our comfort. It must be to the cross of Christ. To sharing the truth of the gospel, regardless of what it costs us. How can we be committed to the cross of Christ? How can we be faithful to endure such suffering? I think the only way to endure such suffering, to prepare ourselves for that, is to view it from God's perspective. That this life is short. What did Jesus tell his disciples at the Sermon on the Mount? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on the earth where rust and moth doth corrupt. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Hey, it may cost you something here, but there's so much more waiting for you in the future. There's such peace and joy. You can have that right here and now, but you will have it if you've trusted Christ when you get to heaven. So why don't we live for that? We have to see it from God's perspective. John, uh, Peter, I, I'm going to share one last passage for, with you. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he wrote this in verses 12 through 13, and then also I'm going to read verse 19. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed... You may be glad also with exceeding joy. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, verse 19, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You know, Peter's testimony, we see, uh, even though we don't see his death recorded for us, his testimony was that he trusted in a faithful creator. And he lived for him. I think this whole book and this message certainly boils down 
to a very difficult, but ultimately an incredibly simple truth. That to be a Christian, well, Jesus boils it down to only two words in this passage. Follow me. That's it. We're to follow Christ. We're to frame our life around what he would have us to do and how he would have us to live in his strength, in his ability, through his gifts, from his blessings, with his mercy. Will you follow him today? You might be here and maybe you've never trusted in Christ. Maybe you've been putting it off and, and, and you're, you've been close many times and you know that there's a need you have for a savior that yes, there's gotta be something beyond this life. And maybe you even believe what Jesus Bible says is true. Maybe you believe it and, and you've heard it and you've read it and, and you understand it and you realize, yes, there is a savior who died for my sins. And if I don't trust him, I'm going to go to hell. And maybe you've just been saying this whole time, but I kind of want to get this area of my life cleaned up and then maybe I'll follow him. You tell you, you're not granted, you're not guaranteed another moment. Do not waste Jesus' grace out of procrastination. Trust in him. But maybe you're here. And I think there may be some in this church this morning. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never truly chosen to follow him. You know, the first step of any believer is to get baptized. Is to present themselves to a church, to become part of that body, and to serve the Lord together. And that means getting baptized. Maybe you're here and you need to get baptized. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have an invitation. I do this every week. I plead with you to respond to God's word. And I'm telling you today, don't leave here without doing what God wants you to do. God has a plan for your life. He wants to be involved. But God is not, he's not a puppet master. He's not going to take your life over and beyond your own choices, cause you to do what his will is. No, he's going to wait for you to respond. So in this time of invitation, I encourage you to respond. Let's pray. Let's stand together first and let's pray.